I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself on a roller coaster ride of a thought process. Sometimes I find myself saying, I'm unlovable. While at other times I find myself saying, who could be more lovable? (laughs) Sometimes I find myself saying, I know I have a great purpose that God has given me. Other times find yourself saying, what is my purpose? I feel useless. Sometimes people find themselves saying, I'm awesome. At other times they find themselves saying, I'm horrible. Maybe you've been on this roller coaster ride before that's sometimes described as self-esteem. Maybe you've been on a roller coaster of how you feel or how you think about yourself. Sometimes you accept yourself. You're like, I like who I am. Other times you're like, oh, I wish I could just be like so-and-so. Sometimes you're in a position where you're like, I feel good about myself. And then other times you're thinking, I don't feel good at all about who I am. There's a lot of people that live on this roller coaster. This self-esteem issue is a big issue. We struggle with knowing how to feel about ourselves. We struggle with knowing, should we like ourselves? Should we not like ourselves? How should we think about ourselves? What, what does the Bible teach us about who we are, and then how should that influence how we live? Because self-esteem has a big influence on our lives. Whether we agree with whether we should struggle with self-esteem or not, the reality is this. How I think about myself and how I feel about myself affects how I live. We do weird things when we're struggling with our self-esteem. And it's not just in middle school. We're struggling with our self-esteem, accepting ourselves, so what do we do? We do certain things so that others will accept us, and then when others accept us, we can accept ourselves. The other weird thing that we do when we're struggling with self-esteem is that we miss opportunities. Someone will ask us to do something and we don't feel good about ourselves, so what do we say? I'm not good enough for that. I'm not qualified to do that. So we just kind of sit back and sometimes we don't take steps of faith. Sometimes we don't participate in opportunities to do good because of how we're feeling about ourselves. Well, this morning we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2. And as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, it should transform the way we see ourselves, which should transform in how we act and walk out our faith. This morning as we look at Ephesians 2, though, there's good news and there's bad news. So I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to decide. Do you want to start with the good news or do you want to start with the bad news? Those who want to start with the bad news, raise your hand. Well, keep your hands up, people. How do you expect to count? Okay, if you want to start with the good news, put your hands up. All right, bad news have it by majority. So we'll start with the bad news this morning. In Ephesians chapter 2, there's some bad news about you and I, which brings us to our first M. Our first M today is this. We're more sinful than I want to acknowledge more sinful than we want to acknowledge. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 lays out the condition of humanity. It says this, you were dead in trespasses and sins. It doesn't just say, hey, you do bad stuff. And we would all admit to that today, right? Every person in here would admit and say, yeah, I've done some bad stuff. I've, 
I've had bad thoughts towards someone. I've lied about something. I've been jealous towards someone. I've, I've treated someone poorly. We'd all admit to doing wrong stuff every once in a while. But the description here goes just way beyond that. To not just making a mistake every once in a while, it describes humanity as dead in sins. You can't get a worse description. Dead means what? Done. It's over. Anytime death is pronounced, there's no second. There, there's nothing. It's over. I've never been in a situation, I've been around a lot of death, where death is pronounced and then a few moments later, there's kind of a feeling of optimism. It's dark. Because what? Death is final. And it's describing the human condition saying what? You're dead in your sins. Kind of a weird concept for us. Well, I'm alive, but yet I'm dead. What God's Word is laying out for us is that spiritually speaking, we can be physically alive, but according to God, spiritually, we're dead because of our wrongdoing. Our wrongdoing doesn't just cause a problem for us in that it causes little road bumps in our relationships. Our wrongdoing puts us spiritually dead. Second thing that is the problem with us. Look with me, if you would, to verse 3. Verse 3 says, okay, it's describing lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. And then it says, and you were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So again, describing humanity, saying this, is that you are deserving of wrath. And the, the thought here isn't just the Ephesians, the people that receive this letter. Notice at the end of the verse it says, like the rest of mankind or the rest of humanity. In other words, all of humanity is dead because of their sin and deserving of wrath. We rarely talk about this in the church. I mean, it's not popular. It's not fun. And it doesn't sometimes fit our notion of a, of a smiley God. But the reality of the Scriptures is that God's wrath is being poured out is, and is going to be poured out against sin. That those who are dead in their sin are destined for wrath. This is horrible news. It's not that just we're dead, but we're also destined for wrath. It's not that you're just going to be separated from life, but it's going to be there's punishment to come. You and I are more sinful than we want to acknowledge. The reality is, is that humanity has become like a turtle. A turtle doesn't swim against the current. A turtle goes with the current. And then the turtle uses whatever you want to call its body parts to what? Direct where it's going within the current. The description here of humanity, look with me at verses 2 and 3. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. Basically saying that humanity is just going along with whatever Satan wants and whatever the flesh wants. Now, we don't talk about this a lot either because it's uncomfortable, this concept of Satan, an evil being. But the Bible describes this prince who has power and authority here on earth. After Christ ascended, 
it's described that Satan somehow is, is at work here on earth and is, is ruler of this age. And then now it's describing that humanity is basically just going along with whatever the ruler of this age wants. Maybe shifting a little here and a little there, but we're just going along with the current. Whatever Satan wants, and then what else does it say? Whatever our flesh wants. The description of humanity here is not very nice. Very simply put, humanity is described as people who are just going along with whatever. They're dead and they're destined for wrath. That's bad news. But that's who we are when we're left to ourselves. It's not where the story ends, though. We may, we may be more sinful than we're willing to acknowledge. Look with me, though, at verse 4. One of the best words in all of the Bible, verse 4. But, in other words, he's saying, hold on a second. Yeah, you're bad. You're worse than bad. You're dead. However, something's coming. What's coming? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. The second M today is this. We're more loved than we can understand. I'm more sinful than I want to acknowledge, but I am more loved than I can even understand. Let's look at the depth of of this love that God has for us. Look with me here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. God's love, the magnitude of God's love is seen in that He did not wait for us to become lovable, but He loved us when we were unlovable. He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to let them take the first step and make this happen. No, no, He took the full first step. Look what it, no, we didn't have anything to do with it. He says here, made us alive together. Who did? God did. So in other words, the magnitude of God's love is that even when we are His enemies, even when we are profaning His name, what does He do? He loves us. When we're dead in our wrongdoing, He loved us enough to bring us new life. It's amazing. This is outside of the human comprehension because this isn't the way the human system works, right? The human system works by what? Getting to know someone, and then they become lovable to us, and then what? We extend love to them. And sometimes that lovable person will do unlovable things, but we're able to love them through it because what? We know they're overall kind of lovable. God, God works completely different. He doesn't wait for us. He doesn't see how things are going to go. He leads with love. Romans chapter 5 describes it this way. It says, for while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. In other words, God just took the initiative. That's how much you are loved by God. It is not dependent upon your response to the love. It is not dependent upon how you treat the love over the long haul, because guess what? You're already loved. And the depth of that love, the depth of that love is shown in the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not like God said, hey, I love you, I'm going to throw a lifeline. The lifeline that I'm going to throw is I'm going to send down a couple of angels. Let the angels kind of intermingle and see how you respond. The depth of God's love 
Because he doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send one of the members of the Trinity who we're in perfect relationship together with. He basically sends himself in this mysterious way. And the depth of what he does then is he takes the punishment on our behalf. You are more loved than you can even understand. So what happens as a result of this love is now a level of crazy. Look with me if you would, Ephesians 2, verse 6. So he loved us and made us alive. What does he do to us? Verse 6, and he raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, that makes no sense. What in the world is he talking about? Raises us up to the heavenly places. Is that after we die we go to the heavenly places? No, it's, it's right now. Well, look with me if you would. If you have your Bible, look with me back to Ephesians chapter 1. To the end of the chapter, verses 20 to, verses 20 to 23. This will help us understand what he's saying here. Verses 20 to 23, it's being described what happened to Christ. It says this that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So in other words, when Jesus ascended from earth to heaven, he was seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. And as he's seated at the right hand of the Father, it says, he is above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Christ has this seat of rule or authority in the heavenly realms. And now Paul says later on in chapter 2, he says, hey, you're seated there with him. What? I'm right here. This is the mystery of the other dimension that we have to our lives. Spiritually speaking, we've been given a whole new position. That position is with Jesus in the highest place of authority. There's no greater authority in the whole world than Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. And now the Apostle Paul is saying what? You have seated with him in the heavenly places. In other words, spiritually speaking, you've got a new identity. You've got a new position. Have you recognized the position of authority that you have? You've been placed in this whole other dimension, a dimension that we don't talk a lot about because it can't be verified because you can't touch it, you can't feel it, you can't taste it, and you can't hear it. So it's not verified, so we rarely talk about the spiritual dimension. But the assumption of the Bible is that what you see and what you feel is not all there is. If that's all there is, then the Gospels, the stories about Jesus, are comic strips. Because during all of the stories about Jesus, what is he doing? He's casting out demons. And if there's no spiritual dimension, then everything that's written about Jesus is just a lie. All it is is it's an academic professor at some point that wrote something down to get a group of people to become religious to behave a certain way. That's all it is. And we should freely say that if there is no spiritual dimension. The Bible teaches that there's another dimension beyond what we see. And too often we miss that dimension which affects how we live in this dimension. The here and now, the flesh. You, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, have been given a brand new identity, a new position. You are sitting with Jesus Christ in a position of power and authority. That's why it says in the Bible that Satan has no authority over you. 
Maybe you've heard the line before, greater is he who is in me than the one who is in the world. And the New Testament teaches that what? Satan can't touch, can't harm a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you've got more authority than Satan. Because you're seated in a new position with Jesus Christ. Satan still plays with us. Satan still tries to affect us. But when we live out our position in Jesus Christ, Satan has no authority over us at all. You have been given a new identity, a new position in Jesus Christ. You and I are more sinful than we want to acknowledge. Yet at the exact same time, we are more loved than we can even understand. So what's the result then? We recognize we are more sinful. We recognize we are more loved than we understand. What's the result? Look with me, if you would, down to verse 10. The result of all this working of God, of what God is doing because of His love. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, because we're more sinful, what does that mean? It means I need Jesus. When you recognize the depth of your sin, you say, I got no other route except Jesus. And because of God's love, He sends His Son, Jesus, and then through that, our professing Jesus, Jesus coming, what happens? It says here, we're created new. Very simply, what this is saying is it's saying, you are a masterpiece of God. Your whole thinking about yourself should change. We should not see ourselves as downtrodden, kind of, I don't like myself. Do you know what you're saying when you say you don't like yourself? You're saying you don't, know, you don't like what God has created. Because it says here that you are God's masterpiece through Jesus Christ. You're being recreated into something beautiful, something magnificent. Very simply put, you are God's masterpiece to display God's glory. Have you seen yourself in this light? Have you said to yourself, yeah, I'm a big deal. It's okay. Yeah, you should say that. I'm a big deal. It's time we kind of elevate the shoulders a little bit. Stand up. Stop walking around with your head down like this. You're a big deal. You're a work of art. You are God's creation in Christ Jesus to display God's glory. You can think highly of yourself and think of yourself less often. You can think highly of yourself and think of yourself less often. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. There's a big difference. And God's Word says this, we should have a high view of ourselves. Why? Because now we're at union with Jesus Christ. We've been created. We are a new masterpiece of art in Christ Jesus to display His glory. This morning... You and I are more sinful than we want to acknowledge. At the exact same time, we are more loved than we can understand. And as a result of that, we are God's workmanship, recreated to display His glory. You see, when we comprehend the M&M, &M, when we comprehend the M&M, &M, 
we no longer, when we think of self, we no longer just think of self because we think of self in union with Jesus. When I make eggs at home, scrambled eggs, I like to throw in a little bit of red, red pepper, a little cayenne, little cayenne pepper, and sometimes I try and sneak it in when the kids are going to have scrambled eggs as well. The problem is this. You, you would think, right, that's pretty easy, just throw it in, they never notice. It's amazing. They just see one little red dot on the egg, and they're not eating it, not eating it, get it off of there. Do you know how hard it is to pick all of these little red dots off of scrambled eggs? You can't separate it. When you get one, you get the other. The same is true of you and I. When you get us, you get Jesus. You can't separate the two because of God's love of what He did for us. When He gave us new life, He created us new in Jesus. So when I think of myself, I no longer just think self, I think of self in Jesus because I can't think of myself outside of Jesus because it's through Jesus that I've been given new life. So today, some of you are holding back because of self-esteem. Some of you are saying no to opportunities because you're saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified. When you say I'm not good enough, when you say I'm not qualified, you're trampling on the Word of God. Because God's Word says right here that you are in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You couldn't be any better. You can't be any better. You have Christ Jesus. You couldn't be more qualified. You're united with the King of the universe. You may not have experience. You may not have confidence. But that doesn't mean you're unqualified. That does not mean you're not good enough. You're good enough because you have Christ. And so today, it's time that we elevate our thinking. It's time that we see ourselves for who we are. Masterpieces of God created in Christ Jesus to display His glory. So now the question becomes very simply this. Look with me at the end of verse 10. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The question's pretty simple. Am I going to live out who I am? The term, the word used there is walk. Walk implies something. Activity, do something. I've got this brand new app on my phone. It's kind of the Fitbit thing. I tried the thing that you put in your pocket for a while and I lost it after a while. So I put an app on my phone and thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be healthy. Well, guess what? You have to walk. It doesn't just give you steps automatically. You actually have to do something. Go somewhere. And then it says what? You're making progress. Guess what? God wants you to do something. Not to earn His love, because you're loved more than you can understand. God wants you to do something. Not to be saved, because God saves you. It's His work. But God wants you to do something, because when you do something, you display His glory. Are you going to walk out who God is making you in Christ Jesus? Let's go out and do something, because of who we are. Who are we? We are masterpieces created in Christ Jesus 
to display the glory of God. Let us pray. Everlasting God, you are awesome, worthy of all praise, God. We say glory be to you alone this morning. And God, we acknowledge that we have fallen short in the flesh. We acknowledge that oftentimes we look down upon your creation. So God, today I ask that you would elevate our thinking. God, give us a biblical perspective of how you see us and who we are. And Lord, I ask now that you would work in each person's heart and mind, that they may comprehend, that they may have a taste of the great love that you have for them. Lord, we pray now that you would use us this next week to display your glory. Thank you for giving us new life in Christ Jesus. Amen.